You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, Feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit diamondv.com because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Hi, it's Connie Cooper with Seal Pro Silage Barrier Film and Connor AgriScience with another episode of the Dairy Voice podcast. Now, Ron and I just spent the day yesterday with a great group of nutritionists and industry people at the California ARPAS meeting. And ARPAS, if you're not familiar, stands for the American Registry of Professional Animal Scientists, which is a mouthful. That's why we say ARPAS. So it was our annual nutrition conference at the Harris Ranch in Central California. It was a great day. We learned a whole lot about water, about methane, um, about the beef on dairy situation, and, and just a lot of other things, as well as networking with a bunch of great nutritionists. So today I'm excited to talk to Trent Dato, who is a nutritionist from Amory, Wisconsin, about uh, formulating rations and how he does that and the use of whole cottonseed. So welcome, Trent, to the Dairy Voice podcast. Thanks, Connie. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we get started, um, tell us about yourself, where you came from, uh, what you did to get to where you're at, and where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am a farm kid at heart, originally from northwest Wisconsin. Amory is the hometown. Uh, where I grew up on my family's dairy farm uh, and spent a lot of time uh, working with my brothers and sisters growing up, involved in FFA and 4-H like many of us uh, did growing up. Went off to school at the University of Minnesota and was an animal science undergrad and did my master's program in uh, ruminant nutrition. And after I graduated there, I spent some time in the animal protein business. So that's the uh, blood meal, meat and bone meal, uh, part of the nutrition realm. And then transitioned into doing uh, nutrition work on, on farms with GPS dairy consulting. So I work primarily in Wisconsin and Minnesota and, and GPS as a whole. We have about uh, 20 consultants and work all around the U.S. and do a little bit of international uh, nutrition and management consulting as well. Well, let's get right into it. As a nutritionist, tell us how should a herd owner or, or a manager choose a nutritionist to work with? So a lot of this comes down to personal preference and what you're looking for in, in an advisor. Uh, the nutritionist, uh, nutrition consultant, nutrition management consultant, independent nutritionist, there's lots of names that we like to give ourselves. And a lot of it stems from the type of advisor that the, the dairy is looking for. Some are looking for uh, help in just formulating rations. Some are looking for a little bit 
more insight to you know what what other dairies are doing more management support and it really runs the full gamut in terms of the type of services that that the dairy is looking for but probably even more importantly than the the type of service is the type of relationship that that you're looking for I don't mean to get down into the relationship nitty gritties, but a lot of it is is how to develop the relationship with trust and communication and um, how when uh, things go awry, which they always do in, in dairy farms, how you can work together as a team to kind of mend things back together and keep the business moving forward. So starts with what service you're looking for, and then it's how to build that trustful relationship then after. California Bioenergy is a leading developer of dairy digesters in America. With more than 100 projects, over 40 of them operational, CalBio has the expertise to help your dairy generate revenue by capturing methane and creating renewable vehicle fuels. Founded by a dairy farmer, CalBio considers itself the most dairy-focused digester developer building systems to last generations along with your existing family-owned operation, now expanding with its subsidiaries, Northwest, Midwest, and Southwest Bioenergy, CalBio is ready to serve you. To learn more about how a CalBio digester could benefit your dairy, manure, and wallet, visit them at calbioenergy.com. So what are some clues, what are some tips that you could give to um, to dairy farmers and on how to build that trusting relationship? So to me, the, the biggest thing is, is communication. Uh, just like with any relationship, whether it's your, your spouse, a, a friend, um, if the communication falls through, the relationship is, is null and, and void. So what's been interesting as the types of communications have evolved, especially over the past years with uh, Zoom conferences and and, uh, face-to-face being more difficult is the preferences for communication have have really shifted. So I I do a lot more texts, phone calls, Zooms, uh, picture sharing, uh, group messages with many people on the team. It's just been really useful uh, to kind of diversify how we're communicating to build that trust and not letting anything fall through the gaps um, between the dairy and the nutritionist. Right. It's, you know, I think that um, this whole situation we've been through in the last few years has been both a blessing and a curse. There's a lot of good things that have come out of it as well. And I think communicating with each other and having that instant um, knowledge of what's going on really makes a difference. And to me, it's how it's it enabled us to capture the communication of multiple people on the team at the same time. Oh, right. As, as the size of the businesses have grown, the dairy businesses have grown, uh, there's not very often one single decision maker that I have to communicate with. Generally, it's you know a group of five or six different people. You have the feed center manager, the herd manager, the, the owner, the feeder, you know, the list goes on of, of the people that, you know, even just a simple ration change can can encompass. So having those forms of communication, open channels, uh, really enables us to move fast and and make sure things are done correctly. So how much of a role does a personal visit play anymore in in what you do? Definitely is still important. One of the reasons why is even though Zoom phone calls and whatnot have, you know, grown and developed and we're all much more uh, used to using them, is just like the, the kids who are away from school for such a long time, there's nothing that can replace 
face-to-face uh, -face communication, um, as well as face-to-face -face observation of what's going on at the dairy. Uh, there's a lot of tough conversations that happen um, as a nutritionist and as a consultant. A lot of coaching conversations, a lot of critical conversations around lots of dollars uh, that are at stake for the business. Some of those are often best said face-to-face -face for the verbal or nonverbal cues to understand really the position and the feelings that are, are in the room. And the other side, the more uh, tangible side of, you know, it's important for the nutritionist to, to get on farm to have a visual observation of what the cows are doing, you know, what the feed actually looks like, how the processes are actually being executed. Uh, some of that, no matter how many questions that you ask uh, the dairy and the managers, don't really come to light until you're, you're there on the farm. Have you run out of silage, had to buy expensive, marked up feed to fill the gap? Maybe production's dropped due to lower dry matter intakes. Are molds or mycotoxins creeping through your piles or bunkers? And pitching the rot is a dangerous pain. Oxygen is the enemy. Pack it out, then keep it out with Seal Pro, the professional grade silage barrier film protection chosen by top professional farmers like you. Make more, better, safer silage with Seal Pro. Learn more at SealProSilage.com. In addition to the communication tools, what are some other tools that you use as a nutritionist to provide information and to get information that you need to formulate rations? Yeah, so there's a whole slew of uh, different data and reporting mechanisms that we uh, set up and use with the dairies to not only improve how I can make rations that best fit the dairy, but also just improve the overall management of the dairy. So a simple thing of, you know, getting the daily milk weights of the dairy, you know, what did they produce today from a, you know, fluid component levels, max cell, all that, you know, it seems like a pretty simple uh, metric to get, but something that we often have to try to implement and get started to have that rapid feedback, both for the dairy and for myself. And then it can, can build up from there um, in terms of uh, different reports from herd management software that we have regularly regularly shared with the team, different forage reports, feed cost reports. It can, it can get as complicated as, as dairies want, but to me, getting the basics of production data and feed quality is, is definitely the base. So um, tell me about when you step on a farm for the first time, what steps do you take in getting to the part about building a ration for a herd? Uh, a number of things. There's the more uh, touchy-feely uh, stuff around goals, you know, what their, their goal of the dairy is, how the business is set up. There's different styles of dairy in terms of low-cost producers, you know, high-producing herds that take a lot of pride and need to have the high performance for their business model. So there's some of that that you have to talk through and get through in terms of what the producer's goals are. Some of the more technical things in terms of the types of forages they have available, the quality of those forages, the type of cows, the body condition of the cows, uh, and the list goes on, on and on from there. So once you gather kind of the basics of uh, what the farm is looking for and what the farm has available, you can go from there to build the ration uh, with other purchased commodities and other feedstuffs to appropriately balance the diet for the goals and type of herd that we're, we're working with. You had mentioned purchase feeds, and uh, I'm guessing that not many people in Wisconsin 
grow cottonseed, right? Nope, probably about zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know that's a, is an important part of, of some of the dairy rations. So can you give me an example of how you would use whole cottonseed in a ration? In the Midwest, we're fortunate to have very high quality forages for the most part, depending on the growing season. So that makes up a good base of our, of our ration. Uh, but from there, there's a lot of different options that you can do depending on uh, the needs and production levels, like I, I mentioned before. Cottonseed is an often used ingredient in the Midwest uh, to fill a couple gaps that uh, come in the diet. Uh, one of the main reasons is, is for the energy that it provides. So cottonseed is, is a rare source of, of fat as a, as a feedstuff. Other sources, you know, other oil seeds, soybeans and canola, rape seeds, items like that, obviously can provide oil as well. But what's interesting about cottonseed in particular is that because of the hard hull on the outside, it's more of a slowly degraded fat source. So it doesn't have any negative implications to butterfat tests, which is one of the biggest worries of feeding a different type of oil seed. Mm-hmm. But beyond the fat, other items like uh, protein levels, the effective fiber of cottonseed really make it a unique combination of nutrients that's hard to find in another uh, type of feedstuff. So in the Midwest, you'll probably see cottonseed fed from, you know, a little under a pound to up to three pounds, depending on where the market's at um, and the production level of the herd. I remember uh, growing up on a dairy in Minnesota uh, in the in the 70s, I remember a big semi-truck load of cottonseed pulling up. It was some of the first that we had ever fed on our farm. And um, can you give me a little history about how whole cottonseed got started to be fed and how that all happened? Yeah, well, I do remember growing up as a kid on the farm, playing in the cottonseed piles. Oh, yeah. One of the, the most fun activities to do as a youngster. <laughs> right. Um, and, and back in those days, and, and probably long before that too, uh, cottonseed was probably undervalued compared to what we know about it today. Um, in fact, it, it used to be basically a throwaway type feed that uh, didn't find its way into rations at all, would, would end up in the, in the landfill. Um, but as more research, more feeding of it took place, properly including into rations, um, it's really grown to be a very, important and product that's in extremely high demand, especially right now, um, going back to the, the fat and energy side of cottonseed, fat is now one of the most expensive uh, portions of the ration and having a seed source, a safe seed source of this is extremely helpful. So now we see it's very commonplace all throughout the country um, is used to help a lot out, help a lot of dairy herds out. I know here in California, we had a lot of uh, cotton produced and, and now with our water situation, we don't as much anymore. So, so where does that, uh, where does the cottonseed come from now? A bulk of the production of cotton and thus cottonseed comes out of the Texas panhandle. Oh, There's right. also quite a, quite sure. a bit of production out of the uh, kind of Mississippi River Basin. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like the water is an issue in California, likewise is in, in Texas as well. So that, that plays a big role in, in the planting acres for, for the cotton growers. But then of course the yield at the end of the year affects the amount of cotton, the amount of cotton seed that becomes available. The other interesting thing this year I'll mention too, one, the, the fat market makes things go a little wild, but just where the energy markets are at um, altogether makes 
cottonseed a valuable source to crush and get the oil out of and put into biodiesel. So that's oh, another sure. interesting avenue for, for cottonseed to go down, uh, which isn't related to feeding it to cows at all. All right. So, so how is it handled and how does it get to the dairy? Cottonseed comes from down south to either the Midwest or out west uh, by a couple of different modes of transportation. It can come up to the Midwest on, on barges. It's tough right now with the lack of rain. The Mississippi is a little too low to, to get it all the way up but it can come up on, on rail and it can go out to the Western states on rail as well. It can move on truck, but that's probably the least efficient mode of transportation. Right. Um, and with the, with the cost of fuel that it makes it very difficult for the uh, Midwest and the far West dairy producers to afford to transport the cottonseed that far. So we're seeing a lot of uh, local consumption of, of cottonseed in, in Texas and kind of the uh, high plains regions. So it's, it's a, the cottonseed is a good source of fat. What, so what are the, uh, what are the benefits in total to feeding whole cottonseed? Yeah. So it's a good energy source. Like I, I mentioned, uh, so it can really help support higher production. One of the best benefits that you'll see from this is support in butterfat production, which is especially pertinent right now with uh, component based pricing in the Midwest, especially is butterfat is a, is a high value component of, of milk. So anything that we can do to support butterfat production uh, is, is being utilized right now, which uh, cottonseed can definitely play a, a good role in. So if I'm going to purchase cottonseed, how, how do I know what is a good quality cottonseed to have? Generally, the quality of cottonseed doesn't vary too much uh, from load to load. Um, if you do notice discoloration, burning, anything like that. You guys, you know, something went on, moisture was in the storage or something like that. The one thing that we have learned the last couple of years through the breeding of cotton, that the oil content of the cotton seed itself has, has probably decreased from what a lot of us nutritionists have used in our, our ration formulation software. So understanding where the current crop year is at in terms of quality is probably one of the more important metrics and things we need to understand as nutritionists is how it varies from year to year. And I would imagine that is dependent on uh, growing conditions and genetics of the, of the plant itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are items that none of us have control over. And especially when you're from a different region of the country, you don't necessarily understand what's going on and where the cotton seed is grown. So yeah, something you have to try to delve into. If I'm, uh, if I'm going to get a report on cottonseed, what kind of things am I looking for and how is it tested? So many of the labs that you send forage samples to um, can also do cotton type analysis, cottonseed type analysis. It is a little bit more difficult because oftentimes you have to delint the cotton. Many of us feed fuzzy cottonseed. Mm -hmm. So you have to have processes to delint and, and then have an accurate way to determine the contents inside the seed itself. But the biggest factors, most important factors to look for are uh, fat levels, um, as well as protein levels in the cotton seed. Then as far as seasonality goes, does it store well so that it, there's, it's a fluid season or is it certain times of the year a good time to, to, to purchase cotton seed? How does that work? Cotton seed comes from, I see the plant, the cotton. So the bulk of the seed is available as the gin start processing the cotton. From the processing, the cotton seed often ends up in the hands of various uh, brokers and, and secondhand sellers. 
uh, who do have plenty of storage for, for the bulk of the year. But you often hear around this time of year, uh, the term gin run cotton, which basically means it's, it's uh, cotton seed directly from, from the gin available to the market. And this is where we'll generally see a little bit of discount in price, uh, just because there's, there's no storage costs. It can go directly on transportation to different parts right. of the of the country. So gin run cotton in the fall is generally where you'll see a discount if there is. But generally, the price stays relatively stable throughout the year, barring any hiccups in supply chains or, or drastic miscalculations in the supply or demand that we have. So when you're talking to uh, your dairy farmers, how do you talk about the, the benefits of cottonseed and, and why they should consider using it? This comes down to the multifactorial benefits of, of cotton. I actually had this, this same conversation this morning because cotton prices this fall in many parts of the U.S., which holds true in Wisconsin, have been at uh, historic highs up in the, the mid-500s. Uh, so you get a lot of questions, you know, when can we stop feeding cottonseed? Why are we feeding cottonseed? Um, and it goes back to a couple of the points that we, we hit on in terms of the unique profile of, of fat, protein, and fiber that it brings in. It's, it's a great backbone and gap filler uh, for a lot of high-producing diets. Right. And it's surprisingly very palatable with all the lint that's on it and, and the, the fiber in it. It's, cows love it, right? Yeah, they, uh, they do really enjoy eating it. Another uh, nice part is it's a non-sortable source of effective fiber. So oftentimes we'll try to put effective fiber in through straw or, or different forage sources and cows can easily sort that out, but cotton serves as a great source to get in there unsorted. Well, are there any, any other final thoughts that you have uh, regarding your work as a nutritionist or using whole cottonseed? Yeah, I will say the cotton market has been, like I said, at all time highs and uh, we're getting lots of questions and pushback of you know, why it should be in rations and, and how it fits, especially how it interplays with the fat market, which has now uh, been coming down off at high, its highs. So now more than any is a time to uh, discuss with uh, your team, your advisors to see how to best formulate the ration to uh, include cottonseed if it fits and continue to get high production in this extremely high cost uh, feed environment. Uh, thank you for your time today, Trent, for joining us here at the Dairy Voice podcast. And uh, we've talked about the work that you do as a nutritionist and uh, with GPS and how you approach your job and how this cottonseed can play a role in a, in a profitable dairy herd. This is Connie Cooper with Steel Pro Silage Barrier Film and Connor AgriScience. Thank you, Trent, for joining me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I will be talking to you soon.